certainly think a whole lot different today because of the Word of God than what I thought, say, 25 years ago before I was a Christian or before I was living for the Lord. Amen? Folk, since this is day one of a new year, I want you to do this. I want you to resolve in your heart that if you do only one thing this year, that would be to fall in love with God's Word. As a friend of mine says all the time, just get lost in His Word. Because if you get lost in His Word, my beloved, you are not lost. You're exactly where you need to be, doing exactly what you need to be doing. You know, you are, you are in your life what, how do I put it? You will be in your life how it corresponds on how much word you get into your life. Does that make sense? I know what I want to say in my head. It's just not coming out my tongue. The amount of word that you get in your life. The amount of word that you submit to. Because there is a difference between reading and, and, and taking in and submitting. We can read God's word and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to love my brother. I'm not going to submit to the Lord. I'm not going to be faithful. I'm not going to worship God. I'm not going to give to, to His work. We can read the Word, but if we have a hard heart not to receive the Word, it's not doing any work, is it? I encourage you this year, you stay in the Word of God. You read it diligently, regularly. You, you, you read it passionately. I was so encouraged. Lisa's downstairs. She won't hear this. One o'clock this morning, we gone to bed and we were talking to my uh, brother-in-law and sister and family in America, and we were wishing each other a happy new year. And as we hung up with them, Lisa was on her phone. I said, "What are you doing?" She says, "I I finished my Bible reading for last year. Now I'm I'm getting a new plan." And she got on her, her U version and she pulled up a new Bible reading plan for this year. So thankful that my wife loves God's Word. What keeps us right with Him will be His Word in our heart. Amen? Stay in His Word, beloved. Take your Bible, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. And uh, I would like to bring a message to you this first day of the year that I think is a good stepping stone for the, the rest of the 364 days that God has given to us to live for Him this year. John chapter 1. I didn't plan this, but I, I preached Christmas morning on the very same text. John 1, 1 through 14. My key text, my key verse this morning will be different, but I will preach out of the same text. You're looking at one of the greatest texts in all of Scripture. Matter of fact, wherever we, we preach on a Sunday is the greatest text in all of Scripture. But this is a most powerful text. When you see and read in John 1.1, you, you pretty much get the entirety of the Word of God. It's all there in that verse. It is amazing, amazing doctrinally and the, theologically and powerful Scripture here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'll take as my text verse this morning, verse 1. I'll read again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Heavenly Father, The time is short. It could be a matter of seconds or minutes before that trumpet sounds and you call this church out. Lord, it could be days, weeks, years, or if you desire, it still could be millennia before you come back. I believe in my heart it could be any time. But Lord, as we come into this new year. Lord, as we have a clean slate, so to speak, I pray, God, that this message that You've laid in my heart would resonate into the hearts of our people. I pray, Lord, it would be one that would be used of You, not because I preach it, but because it's Your Word. It's Your truth. It's what You have in this book. Lord, we need Your help this morning. You, you have before you a church that carries burdens and griefs and blessings and praises all at the same time. Lord, you have a church that is longingly and eagerly looking to you for every bit of its, of its, of its uh, sufficiency this morning. You have a people and a pastor, Lord, that realizes that we can do nothing without You, but with You all things are possible. Father, I pray this morning that as we look at John chapter 1, verse 1, that You would press powerfully home the truth of this verse. Lord, I, I don't ask for ability to preach. I simply ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to say what You need said. Lord, that You would look upon our hearts even now and God, that we would be so malleable and so humble to Your Spirit that if there is sin in our life, even at this very moment, that You would reveal it so that we may confess it and that there be nothing in the way to hear what You have to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very familiar verse? Anybody ever heard this verse before? Raise your hand if you know this verse. Everybody's like, Pastor, that's a dumb question. We all know that verse. Most likely, you, you've heard sermons on it. I heard sermons here on John chapter 1, verse 1 and, and following. I just preached last week on this text using verse 1 and verse 14 as the Christmas morning uh, uh, message. And... Uh, um, I want to preach again this morning on verse 1. And it's familiar with you. And, and, and the word that we're going to speak of uh, is probably familiar with you as well. Has anybody heard the word logos before? Mo about half of us. The word logos is the main word in this verse. The word logos is the word word. So if you, would, if, if you wanted to read the verse, you could read... In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. 
The Greek word logos simply means utterance. It's a statement. It's a declaration. It's a discourse. It's a subject matter. It is a doctrine. It means word. And what John the Baptist, John the Beloved, is trying to tell us this morning, he's trying to tell us that this word is God. This word was with God. And this word is God. If you look at John 1 verse 14, it'll go on to tell you who the Word was or who the Word is. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him, this Logos, this Word, and cried saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that comes after Me is preferred before Me, for He was before me. Now if you know about the, the story of, of Christ's birth, and it is Christ who John Baptist is speaking of here this morning, John the Baptist was actually older than the Lord Jesus' physical birth. John was born several months before our Savior was born. But yet in verse 15, he says, the one whom I speak of he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Talking about the eternality of Jesus Christ. And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came. Now here it is. He fully comes to the end of the circle. He says to us who the Word is, who the Logos is, who the one preferred is. And he says in verse 17, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. I like the word logos. The word logos to the Jew simply meant God. It was a reference to the, to the God of heaven. It, it, when, when John said, in the beginning was the Word, here's what, here's what the, the Jews were thinking. In the beginning was God. And God was with God. And, the, and, and God was God. I know that seems a little bit silly to us, but in essence, that is what John Baptist is saying. He's saying that, that this Word, who he is speaking of, is God. But you also have to understand something as well. The word Logos, by inspiration of Scripture, by, or inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had John pick the word Logos specifically because not only did it mean to the Jew a reference to God, but it also had the inference that the Logos was God, but not God the Father Himself. So that word Logos to you and I means something very wonderful. It is talking about our Savior Jesus Christ. It's talking about the, the God-man. It's talking about the One who became incarnated. It's talking about God, the Son who came down to this place to do what He was commissioned to do. Our text verses 
Again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the One who was with God, the Logos, the Word. And without Him, the Word, the Logos, was not anything made that was made. And in the Logos, in the Word, in verse 4, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. To the Jew, that word logos was undeniable to what undeniable to them. They knew exactly what John Baptist was saying. John Baptist was saying, I keep saying John Baptist, but it ain't John Baptist. It's John the Revelator, man. It's John the Apostle. That's all right. My brain sometimes works slower than my mouth, but it catches up eventually. Amen? You with me though, aren't you? John the Revelator, John the Apostle, John the Beloved. We're on the same page now, right? I looked to my right and I saw faces and I'm thinking, what are they thinking? It dawned on me. I got the wrong John, but we're back on the right page. John the Revelator, John the Beloved. He was saying to the Jews, undeniably that this Christ is God. And when you take that thought, when you take the Logos outward and you begin to begin to uh, think about it and to expand on it, basically what you have is this. Jesus being the Word means what? Again, what, does, what do words do? Words reveal, do they not? Words expose. Words open up. Christ, our Savior, Jesus, the man, the, the, the Son of Man, the man God, the God man, both. What was he? He was the Word. In other words, he was the, he was the revelation of God. If words are those things that reveal, Jesus Christ was the one who reveals God. Amen? He is. He is the one who reveals God. If words reveal to others our heart and our mind, so Jesus Christ is God's Word to reveal His heart and His mind to us. Amen? What did Jesus Christ come to do when He came to this world? He came to do the will of the Father. What did Christ do? Christ pointed people to the Father. Christ said, you want to come to the Father? There He is. You have to come through Me. That's what Christ did. He revealed the Father. You know what? We learned in our Bible study on Wednesday night that if you want to know what God is, if you want to know how God loves, if you want to know how compassionate God is, if you want to know anything about God, study the Son. For as the Father, so is the Son. And for as the Son, so is the Father. Amen? This is what we see in the word Logos. He is the revelation. He is the revealing of God to man. Uh, don't turn there, but write in your notes somewhere the, the, the verse Colossians 1, verse 15. The first part of Colossians 1, 15 says, Who, talking about Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. No man has ever seen God the Father. My, Moses, saw, Moses saw the backside, but no one has seen God the Father except for 
God the Son. But we have seen God the Son. And if we have seen God the Son, who have we seen, Joe? We've seen God the Father. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God the Father. Being the Logos, Jesus Christ is the eternal Word. He existed in the beginning, not because He had a beginning as a creature, but because He is eternal. He is God. He's everlasting to everlasting. He was in the beginning before there was a beginning, and He will be in the end before there's an end. For there will never be an end, will there? Amen? He will always be. Why? Because He has always been. He is the eternal Word. Jesus Christ is also the creative Word. What power, what authority in our Savior. The Bible says that God said, let us make man. God the Father, God the Son. Together they made all things. The Bible specifically says, and all things were made by Him. And without Christ, without that Logos, without that Word, nothing was made that was made. Our Christ is not some um, orphaned Son of God that came to this world, but He is God Himself in flesh that came to this world to die for our sins. Right? Folks, amen? Jesus is the Word. He is the eternal Word. He is the creative Word. And then lastly, He is the incarnate Word. He was not some phantom, a ghost, a spirit, some thing that floated in space. He was God in flesh. And as we studied on Wednesday night Bible study, though He was God in flesh, and though His glory was veiled, He was still 100% complete God. Amen? God walked upon this world. It it never makes me so angry sometimes for people to say, you know, God is not a loving God because He allows heartache and He allows suffering and He allows uh, trials. Who says that we have the right to a life of no trial? Who has said that? Who has said that we have a right to a life of no, no, no uh, hardships or no burdens? Listen, we as man broke, the, broke God's commandment and ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You say, no, Adam and Eve did. Beloved, can I tell you something? Glory, if you were there, you'd probably ate the fruit too. And if I was there, I would have ate of the fruit too. And so would you have. Because we're man. Listen. Who says that we have a right to a life with no problems? The, 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 the greatest show of, the lo- of a loving God was the fact that He came to take your place, Danny. Do you understand what He did? The Logos became flesh because He took your place. He not only took the punishment of your sin, but He took your position and your place and and suffered the consequences of your sin. 
Why do you tell us all this, Pastor? Because that's what Logos means. When the Jews heard John the Apostle say Logos in his, in his vernacular, the immediate thought was he's speaking of God. When he continued on through John chapter 1, and talked about Him becoming flesh, and talked about His grace and truth, and then named Him as Jesus Christ. There was no denying what John was saying. He was saying to the Jews and to all those who were listening that Christ is God. He is the one that created you. He's the one that gave you life. He's the one that sustains your life. You need to understand that when the Jew heard God It wasn't just that He was some divine being. It was that He was God the Creator. He was God the Sustainer. He was God the Provider. He was God that brought them over the Red Sea, over the Jordan River. He was the God that brought down the walls of Jericho and defeated Ai. He was the God that put down the Philistines in David's kingdom. He was the God that rose up Solomon in all his splendor. He was the God that took them into captivity. He was the God that brought them out of captivity. And He is the God that brought the Savior. He came as a man, but as God, to go to Calvary. To pay for our sins. That's the Logos. But there's something that we miss when we study this chapter with this verse. There's something that we don't often see when we, when we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We usually just leave it at that, don't we, Renee? We just say, He is the Word. He's the eternal Word. He is the creative Word. He is the incarnate Word. But He's more than that. How can you be more than that? Oh, there's just a little bit more that He can be. Not only does the word Logos mean what I've just described it to mean, but that was only to the Jew. What about the Gentile? What about the Greek? What about the non-Israeli? What about the non-Jew? The Word of God is to the world, is it not? The the Son of God is to the world, is it not? Hello, help me out this morning. Did Jesus come to die only for the Jew? Did He come to die for the Gentile as well? If you aren't Jew, baby, you a Gentile. That means He came to die for everybody. This Word is not to the Jew only, but it is to the Jew, the Greek, the Gentile, the man, the woman, the child, the adult, the teenager, the heathen, the saved. It is to everybody because this Word, if you're lost, will tell you about the Savior. And without the Word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? For the lost, it will work in their heart and draw them to Christ through the Holy Spirit and God's grace. For the born-again believer, what will it do? It will renew your mind and transform your life and make you look like what a believer ought to look like when you're in the Word. Amen? Amen? I know Christmas you were up late. You ate a lot of food over the week. You stayed up late last night. You're sleepy. It's time to wake up. Amen? Amen. But what about the Greek? What about the Gentile? See, God wrote the book. He wrote it with purpose and meaning to everybody. 
When the Jew heard Logos, they knew they were speaking of God. But what about the Gentile? What about the Greek? Not only does the word Logos mean what I've told you, the word Logos means more, much more than this. To the Jew, it was the reference to God. But to the Greek, in, in Greek language, they used the word Logos as well. They used the word Logos to mean this, the reason. Quite simple, isn't it? The reason. When the Greek used the word Logos, it meant, let me tell you what it meant. The cause or ground of opinion. It was the ground, the cause, the principle, or the motive for anything that was said. It was the centerpiece. It was, it was the source from which all things flowed. Do you get that? That word logos means reason. It means the source from which all things come. All things flow. When the Greek heard that word logos, here's what they heard. In the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. Amen? Beloved, let's not stop short of what the words mean. The Logos is the Word. We know the Word is what? Beloved, we don't have an evening service tonight. Man, I got all day. Hey, what is the Word? Okay. okay. There's an old song from the 80s. It was J-E-S-U-S. You ever heard of that? Okay. That's who it was. Amen. So let's do it together. Who is the Word? Who is the Word? Amen. Now watch. When John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John was saying to the Greek, Jesus Christ is your God. He is the source from which all things flow. But that meant nothing to the Greeks. But when they heard the word Logos, here's what they heard again from John the Revelator, John the Apostle, John the Beloved. In the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. The Greeks understood that. They understood what John was saying. That this Word, this Logos, this Jesus was the reason for life. He was the reason for life in the, in the sense that He created life. He was the source of all life. He was the su sustainer of all life. And not only that... But the Greeks understood that. Not only was He the source, He spoke. And there was life. Not only that, but they knew that He gave life as well. That word Logos is powerful. That word Logos has deep meaning in both to the Jew and to the Greek. What John the Revelator was saying is this, that Jesus Christ who is God, who is the source of all life, is the reason 
for life. And beloved, that's my message for you this morning. As we begin this first day of 2012, I, I want to encourage you. I want to I be a blessing to you. And I want you to know that something. No matter what this year brings, good or not, Christ is the reason to live. He's the reason to get up in the morning. He's the reason to do what you do in the middle of the day. He's the reason to lay your head down at night. He is the reason. Paul goes on to uh, emphasize what John is saying in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, but Paul was preaching. In Acts 17, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, written down by Luke, said this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is, he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is He worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything. Now watch this. Listen to this. Verse 25. Seeing He gives to all life, breath, and things. God gives to all life, breath, and things. What are we living for this morning? What is the reason for our living? When Paul spoke those words, he gives life, breath, and things. Here's what he is saying. Our God, our Savior, is the source of life. Physical and spiritual. Is He not? Amen? You would not have physical life this morning if it weren't for God. God gave you life. It was not a mistake. Bible says in, in the Old Testament that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were a thought into the mind of God. It wasn't that your parents just got hooked up together and said, yep, let's make babies. You were given that life because God gave it to you. He is the giver of life. If you don't agree with that statement, argue with the Lord, but not me. Because that's what the Bible says there in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 25. God is the giver of life. That means He is the source of life. There is no life outside of God. And then Paul said, and He gives breath. What does that mean? He is the power by which life is sustained. You and I take a breath this morning. Why? Because I have power myself to bring breath, Joe? Do I take a breath now because I'm just a physical man and that's how I'm created? I go, <sighs> no. According to the Word of God, He gives breath. And it is an, it, it is an explanation. It is a detailed uh, description of the fact that God is the power by which life is sustained. I am but in His hand. Amen? You are but in His hand. Amen? The Lord gives life. The Lord sustains life. And then again in that verse, seven, uh, verse 25, Paul says, and it is God which gives all things. What does that mean? It means this. That it is God who gives all things necessary to sustain life. A couple of people praised the Lord this morning. 
and I can't remember who it was, but it might have been Esther or someone over here, said, just, I want to thank the Lord for the things that He gives me. I want to thank the Lord for, for His provision. Who, who's, who thanked the Lord for the provision? What was it? This, who was it? Imi. Thank you. I knew it was somebody over here. But do you not see the truth in that? Oh, I got an envelope in the mail. It had 20 pounds in it. Oh, wow. Thank the generous heart that gave it to you. Yes, thank them who sent it to you, but thank the one for, for really where it comes from. God. The Bible is true, is it not? Amen? Do you know why you and I don't experience the Bible? Because we don't trust God. We don't trust the Lord. And we don't realize that all things come from Him. Life, breath, and the sustainment of this life. It says in the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is the one by which all things consist. That means it is Christ who keeps the universe together. It is not a bogus evolutionary theory that keeps this world together. It is the, not the scientists uh, getting together and saying, Hawkins, Dawkins, and Hitchens has the right plan, and you know it was some big bang or some dinosaur scratch that caused this world to come into existence. Evolution is not fact. It is simply a theory of mind by human beings, but the creation story is truth and it's found in that book right there amen god created it and if you don't believe it don't argue with me take it up with the lord and you won't win because god spoke it he placed it he contains it he keeps it god is the source of life have i made my point amen god is the reason for life There'd be no life without the cause. And who is the cause? Jesus Christ. He is the Creator. He is the cause. He is the reason. He is the Logos. Beloved, let me end the message with this. What are you living for today? Christ is the reason for life. Is Jesus Christ the reason for you living? Is He the reason that you do what you do? Is He the reason and purpose of your life? There was a man who was quite wealthy. Lived in big mansion. Had servants. Had all the foods that he ever wanted. He had a reason to live. Maybe it was his businesses. Maybe it was his wealth. Maybe it was his servants. He, he had a purpose. He had a reason but can I tell you, when that rich man who made, who made a mockery of Lazarus, who would not lift a finger to help Lazarus, who allowed Lazarus to wallow in his poverty and his pain and his disease and die, that rich man had a purpose. But his purpose for living was all wrong. He lived for himself. And you know what he did? In death, he still lived eternally for himself. When you read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man dies and, the La and Lazarus dies, Lazarus goes to be with, with the Lord. He goes to the bosom of Abraham. Where's the rich man go? He went to hell. And in hell, he lifted his eyes up in torments. And what did he say? Abraham, would you send Lazarus 
to dip his finger in water and and put it upon my tongue because I'm in torment. Do you know what? He didn't come to a state of repentance while he was in hell, Joe. He didn't think about God while he was in hell, did he? Sometimes I think we get this thought when people go to hell, they're, they're going to have a, a reverse of, 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 their, of their mind and feelings and they're going to want to worship God all of a sudden. I don't think that's necessarily the case. The rich man lifted his eyes up and said, I thirst. He was still trying to command Lazarus to do things for him. He said, send Lazarus water. Can't do that. Then send Lazarus back to my family so they don't come here. He, he felt the torments of hell. That rich man died living for himself and in death still lived for himself. Our purpose and reason for our living will affect our eternal state. Will it? I believe if we're saved, we will desire the purpose to live for God. I believe for most, most cases, and I, there's always individual situations, but in most cases, I believe if a person does not want to live for God, whether they've prayed some prayer in a remote room somewhere with a King James Bible in front of their face, if they have no desire to live for God, if they shun God and, and just refuse to surrender and humble themselves, I do not believe they're saved. The Bible says you will know a person by their fruit. Amen? Rich man. His reason for life was not Jesus Christ. But there's another man I'll share with you. This man summed his entire life up in one statement. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Who are we talking about? The Apostle Paul. Do you see the difference between these two men? The rich man lived for the here and now. The rich man lived for his wealth and his comfort and his needs to be met by himself now. You know what Paul said? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Paul said, I have learned to be content in any situation I am in. Whether it's in poverty, whether it's in wealth. Whether it's in a prison, whether it's in someone's home. Whether it's on a, on a boat being shipwrecked, on an island with barbarians. With, with being, whatever situation I am in, I've learned to be content. Why? Because of the statement he made. For me to live is Christ. Beloved, what was Paul living for? His reason for life itself was Jesus Christ. He said, if, if, if I could but have myself accursed for the salvation of my brethren. He had a burden and a passion for souls to be saved. He didn't just want to feed the poor. He wanted to save the poor. But he wanted to save the rich as well. Why? Because Paul's whole reason for life was Logos. In the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. Is God. And shall ever always be God. 
Amen? Jesus Christ is the reason for living. He will give you purpose. Will He take away all your burdens? You answer that question. Will He take away all your burdens? No, but He certainly will help you carry them. He will certainly give you hope in your trials. He will, he will certainly give you refuge in your burden. You can look to Him and say, you carry my yoke, I'll carry your yoke. Because that's what Christ said. You come and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is what? Easy. Amen? Can I give you three points that Christ is the reason for? I probably won't even elaborate them much. Number one, in the beginning was the reason for life. He is the cause and the purpose of creation. He is the cause and the purpose of our breath. He's the cause and the purpose for our life that we live today. Number one, Jesus Christ is the reason for our rising. You know what? I, I got up this morning not because I was coming to preach. I got up this morning because I needed to go downstairs and spend time with Christ. My whole purpose of getting up this morning was to spend time with the Lord Jesus. Why did I want to spend time with the Lord Jesus? Because I am not the man that I need to be if I do not spend time with Christ. I'm grumpy. Children, don't answer that. Don't say amen. Amen? Amen. They're just smiling. I am. I'm grumpy. I can be more carnal when I don't spend time with the Lord, Danny. I don't, I don't adjust to situations as well when I don't spend time with the Lord. My whole reason for getting up this morning was Jesus Christ. Beloved, I, I, what I'm saying to you th is this. Don't get up because your house needs clean. Don't get up because you have to go to work. Don't get up because you've got to go take care of something. Get up and rise and say, I rise this morning, Father, because of You are my reason to rise. Amen? i tell you what. If you have that mindset, it will give you a whole different picture on your life. I get up for Christ. I don't get up for a paycheck. I don't get up because I've got work to do. I rise because He is my reason for living. Number two. <clears throat> when Paul got saved on that Damascus road, do you remember what he said to Jesus? Anybody? He said a lot, I know, but I'm asking you to find one particular thing out of millions of words that Jesus said. What did Jesus say? I'm sorry. What did Paul say to Jesus? That's it. What do you want me to do, Lord? Number two, Jesus Christ is the reason for our work, for our serving for the things that we do. When I worked as an electrician, I worked as an electrician, but I was not an electrician. I was a Christian serving God. We'd witness to people in the, in the places that we worked. 
we would we would we would come we worked in car washes we wired up computers in car washes i was not an electrician i worked as one but i was a christian my whole reason for working was jesus christ i went to work to pay my bills so that i could so that I could tithe and so that I could take care of my family as the Lord said for me to do, so that I could be a godly man. My whole purpose for working was Jesus Christ. And when you take that upon your heart and your mind, you can go and work in a place that isn't all that pleasant. Amen? Because, Joe, your reason for going there is not your work. It's not your paycheck. Adrian, it's not your, your caring that you're putting on these people, Ida or Carmen. Your whole purpose in going to work, Val and Dan, is what? Jesus Christ. Do you remember? He's the reason for life. And this life that He gives us is what? A light. So you take that life, Danny, and you take it and, and, and it becomes that light and you take it to that workplace and you go into that workplace. And I know I'm, I'm certain accounting is very exciting. Right, Tom? Yes. Numbers. Crunching. Hey, Jesus Christ can make an accountant's office, a doctor's office, and beloved, a dentist's office a place to rejoice in. Why? Because if you go there and do what you have been called to do because of Christ, it changes your whole mindset. Does it not? Amen? Because why? You're not there to serve and please your employer. You're there to serve and please the one who is greater than your employer. And when you work with a purpose like that, oh my, watch out and see what God will do. Jesus Christ is the reason for our rising. Jesus Christ is the reason for our working. And beloved, Jesus Christ is the reason for our dying. My death, your death as a believer, is it really death? Is it, Joe? It's gain, man. Paul said it. For me to live is Christ, but to die is is better why to be absent from the body that's right it's to be present with the lord the reason for my rising is jesus christ the reason for my working is jesus christ and the reason for my dying is my savior listen i mean it by this this old flesh is going to be put off one day is it not tom i'm going to die one day that is inevitable But you know what? Between now and that day we die is our epitaph. It's the dash in the life between birth and death. And I am living this life for because I know one day I will die. So therefore, my reason, I'm looking towards that day I die. And my reason for that day is Jesus Christ. I will live for today, for I know tomorrow I might be with my Lord. But I don't fear death. Do you? Do you? Do you? Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your pain? Death, where's your robber, man? It doesn't exist. There's victory in Jesus. Amen? 
So beloved, can I tell you something this morning? In 2012, we do not know what she brings, do we? But I know she'll bring victory. I know she'll bring sorrow. I know she'll bring joy. I know she'll bring pain. But in all things, you can live as the victor. When your purpose of living is Jesus Christ, how can this world touch you? It can't. The reason for our rising, the reason for our working, the reason for our dying is Jesus Christ. When Christ is the reason, life will have true purpose. And that true purpose is that He may be glorified. When Christ is the reason, life's purpose will not be derailed by circumstances. If my purpose in life, Renee, is to live for Jesus Christ, therefore giving Him glory and honor due His name, no circumstances here shall derail us from doing that purpose with our life. Amen? Beloved, listen. That's it right there. He is the reason. When Christ is the reason, we can say as John the Baptist, He must increase, but I shall decrease. It's not about us. It's about Him, is it not? When Christ is the reason, for our rising and our working and our dying, we can say as the hymn states, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand for Christ is my reason for life. He is the Logos. Go with God. Father,